Hey, dealmakers, and welcome to the show where it's all about financial freedom with real estate. I'm your host, Garrett Lynch. And as always, let's get ready to own it. You're listening to the Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing podcast, hosted by Garrett Lynch and Michael Blanc, where we talk all about how you can achieve financial independence through apartment building investing. Whether you're just starting out or you want to scale your syndication business, this is the show for you. Our guest today is a full-time real estate investor who has been an entrepreneur since the age of 18 and he's only 25 years old. We're going to get into the show with Caleb Johnson in just a minute. But before that, I wanted to give a shout out to a JY Bice via Apple Podcast said that this is a great podcast. It's a great resource to learn from and he highly recommends it to everyone. If you guys have learned something from listening to the podcast, please give us a start review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us grow our listener base. I want to also shout out a couple first deal makers here. Caitlin Gwynn and Jeff Rodriguez closed on 304 units in Alabama worth $19,600,000. Their mentors were Matt and Philippe. Congratulations to you guys. If you guys want to find out how you can do your own deals, reach out to us at themichaelblanc.com slash mentor and see if you can get a mentor that's going to help you progress your real estate career and do some big deals like these two just did. The other thing I want to mention, guys, is if you are interested in investing alongside the pros because the active side is really not for you, there's a lot of great deals coming on the horizon and we are we couldn't be more excited for what's about to come on that side. So if you want to learn how you can get involved with Nighthawk Equity and partner with us, reach out to us at nighthawkequity.com slash join. Click the join button, join the investor club, set up a call with us and see if it's a fit to work together. So guys, I'm going to talk a little bit about how important it is to be good at asset management right now. So asset management in general is something that most operators just pick up. And in the beginning, you don't really know what you're doing. You're just trying to piece together things. But it's really important that you you can, you lean on not only your property management company, but other property management owners or other investors to find out how you can best optimize your operations. These deals are not, they're not easy to run. Once you get over, over to the other side, the management company is only going to do so much. You have to really be on them and hold them accountable to help you reach your goals. Share with them your goals as to where you need to go with the property in order for it to be successful. Get in the weeds with them on those goals and get into the financials. And then you have to hold them accountable, hold their hand through it. Hey guys, we didn't hit our target this week. Remember, we needed to get to this bigger goal over here. And the only way we're going to do it is if we make our targets every week, things like that, setting up your KPIs, your key performance indicators to see how are we making progress. Keeping track of those numbers on an ongoing basis on a weekly or monthly basis is so crucial to being successful at operating these sites. The last thing you want is for the occupancy to slide back so far that it's it's going to hinder your success and you can't create the revenue, especially with the high interest rate environment that's today. You're seeing people lose deals because they don't know how to operate well because everything went wrong and then the, the interest rates basically put them under. So 
some things to look out for, guys. Just wanted to to chat about that a bit with you. Our guest today was able to become financially free before the age of 25 by acquiring over $9 million worth of real estate. We are excited to welcome Caleb Johnson to the show. Let's get into the interview. Caleb, welcome to the show today. Garrett, thank you for having me. Yeah, man. So, so you've been pretty busy over the last couple of years buying real estate and you're fairly young to be doing what you're doing in the game, which is awesome. I love to see that. Tell us a little bit about how you got into it. So the way that I got started was because of my parents and not because they were wealthy or in real estate, but actually the opposite. They both had day jobs and I saw the kind of life that they had and especially with my mom, she would come home and just didn't like what she was doing. And I really think that got exacerbated when she had surgery. And so she was out of work for about three months and her plan was to live off of her savings for that time. And then once she was healed up at three months, she would go back to work. But Garrett, when she got back at that three month mark, she wasn't healed properly. And so she was stuck between this rock and a hard place of, okay, do I go back to work and get some more income, some money, because she's not generating any income. You know, She doesn't have any investments or anything like that, but she's going to go through some pain if she does that. Or she can stay home, recover properly, and but prolong her retirement by maybe a couple of years. And she made the tough decision to go back to work. And I would see her come home from work in tears, just crying because she was in so much pain. And I saw that and I knew I did not want that for myself. I did not want to have to be forced to go to a job and work. And I also got motivated to help her financially. And so that's what started my investment journey. And when I learned that 90% of millionaires had got their millions through real estate, I thought real estate was a no-brainer. Yeah, that's I. I had a a similar thing happen to my mother. Not not exactly, but she she fell off a ladder, had a really bad injury, uh, where she had to get screws in her leg and all this stuff. And she was a realtor, and so she had to walk around quite a bit after that, showing houses, and it was extremely painful for her. And she's definitely in a, a similar spot where mm-hmm. she had to make a decision on that stuff, and it, it's just difficult to deal with that. And that kind of stuff happens all the time to people in different forms. So I love that, you know, you were able to take that and spin it into something positive. But so from from that place of pain, what did you start doing to get into real estate? Well, I started with free resources because being 18 years old, when I started, I didn't have much money or or any connections in real estate. So I started with bigger pockets and YouTube videos, flipping videos and on bigger pockets, they started talking about this term house hack. And what that is, is when you lived in a single family home or a small apartment, four units or under, and you live in one unit and rent out the others. But since you're living on the property, it's considered as owner occupied and you can actually you know, get in there for about a three and a half percent down payment. For me, that was around $12,000. And so I had saved up that capital and bought a fourplex in my market. Uh, I'm in Phoenix. And so I bought in a C minus neighborhood 
and was able to get a, a fairly good deal on this fourplex and man, just learned so much from that. But that's, that's how I got started. Did you live in it? I did. I did. And where was it? I'm, I live in Scottsdale, so I know. Oh, it's an Apache Junction. Uh, so you went, you went and lived in Apache Junction in a fourplex out there. That's dedication. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, man. So uh, I, if you guys don't know, Apache Junction's like, that's probably like 40 minutes east of like civilization. Like, I guess. <laughs> They've got some cool hikes out there, but it's, it's just, it's definitely a different area, different location from, from anything, the main part of Phoenix. Oh and yeah. There's a lot of, it's, there's actually like cowboys out there that like, like the, I, yeah. I went, no, I remember that I went to, they have like this ghost saloon mine town or something like that. And like, mm-hmm. it's, it's like the old West and that's actually a cool thing I love about Arizona. And you, you go into this saloon it was around, it was like October, I don't know, like 10th or something. And there were guys walking around with actual revolvers, like real revolvers on it and like spurs mm-hmm. and chaps and like a cowboy hat and everything. And the whole like, thing, this guy's man. dressed up for Halloween early. <laughs> like, And then, <laughs> then I went to some other place and they were, there were more of them. And I was like, oh no, that's just how people dress out here. <laughs> mm-hmm. so. It's crazy. And yeah, the first, I think when my mom was helping me move into that apartment and like the first day we're there, man. There's an alley across the road and this guy's running towards, well, he's running in the alley and we're thinking this dog's chasing him, right? But this cop turns the corner behind him. And so this cop is chasing this guy and my mom's like cussing and she's like a a Christian gal and she's like, what the heck's going on? And, you know, but that was starting off on the wrong foot, but that was just that whole property in a nutshell. Whoa. That's see, that's dedication going because, because the thing out here. Is I was like, you know, I thought about that too. I'm like, how do people house hack in certain markets like Phoenix? Everything's so high. Like the prices are insane out here. So you really have to like, sometimes if you're doing that strategy, you have to go way out there like you did or live in the hood to get it done. Cause they have limits mm-hmm. on how much FHA will give you for, for your loan. Like they, you can only buy something that I think it's like fourplex. They give you up to like 600 K or something like that. Is that, is that high? something. No, I think that's about right. Yeah. It depends on the income and what the rent you can get in the property. Yeah. So, Mm -hmm. so yeah, it doesn't, it's, it's definitely, you got to be able to willing to to sacrifice a bit if you're you're going that route sometimes, but okay. So your house hacked, you're living in the hood, then what? Well, I renovated that property. You know, the the plan was to increase the rents, renovate the units. How'd you renovate? You had more, you had 12, more than 12 K saved up. Well, I think I just, I was still working at the time. So I was just going to, my plan was to go along and just, I had one unit that was coming due. Their lease was uh, coming up for work, by the way, four days. I managed a restaurant. Okay. So you're a restaurant manager Mm -hmm. and are you doing that in Apache Junction? No, that was in Mesa. In Mesa. Okay. So you're driving from Mesa out to Apache Junction, going to work Mm -hmm. and then taking those funds and putting it back into the site to to kind of improve rents but go on sorry yeah no that's exactly right and i remember garrett it took me two months about and seven grand to renovate that first unit and it was bad man i mean there were hoarders mice roaches and there was so much nicotine 
they had lived there for five to seven years, I think. And I remember there was like a picture or a cross that used to be there, but you could only see the outline and the nicotine was dripping off the wall. <laughs> so oh, wow. yeah, kill, I had to kills it with paint, but yeah, it took me two months and seven grand. And then the neighbor, the neighboring unit next to that was a drug dealer and he actually went to prison. And so we officially had to evict him and we sold his stuff and all that. But I hired someone to go in there. It took him two weeks and $7,500. And I thought, you know what, man, I'm done with renovating units and working with nicotine and killsing at 2 a.m., 1 a.m. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I had a lot of good learning lessons there. Wow. That is crazy, man. That takes takes some bravery to, to be able to go into that kind of situation. <laughs> okay. So you, you do all that stuff and that, then what happens? You're, you're done with the the project, you move out of there and keep the fourplex. How do you, how do you get bigger than that? Yeah. So I stayed pretty small. I mean, small today and from my viewpoint now. So I did a duplex, the same strategy that was an Eloy actually. So the drive for that one was even longer and sold the fourplex through a 1031 exchange, bought a retail facility, did a flip. And so, well, how much did you make on that fourplex? Uh, 170 grand, 170,000. And then you rolled that you 1031 exchange that into a retail facility, retail Mm -hmm. facility. Oh, cool. Mm -hmm. So how did you find that? What did you learn about how to do that? Well, it was really a joint venture and Mm -hmm. just an opportunity that, that came across my desk. And it was a partner that I had met at my first apartment meetup here in the Valley. And he presented me with this offering and I was just in the midst of selling this fourplex. And I had the choice to buy a 16 unit, which I was debating about buying with some partners, or I could just use this 170K to buy that. Or I could raise the capital for the 16 unit and at the same time, invest in that retail facility with the 1031. And so I decided to do both. And that's what we did. But how did you learn about raising capital from going to the house hack side? Were there any products with Michael or anything that helped you along the way? Yeah. So it was a lot of surrounding myself with people. You know, you guys have a great podcast. And so listening to a lot of podcasts about raising capital and just learning how to do that. And for that first three years, I had been doing a ton of networking. And so I had met some people that could put some capital down. I will say this, that it was a lot more challenging than I thought to raise capital, especially as a younger professional. And so that was something that I had to overcome, but we did get that deal done. Thank God. Why do you think it was it was so much harder for you and, you for, know, and for many? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think part of it might be just my age, right? So at that time, I think I was 23 years old. Buying out of state, that property was located in Oklahoma City. And, you know, I had thought that raising capital would be easier because I had built up all of these relationships and these contacts that had capital. They were investors. But when the day came that I had a deal, you know, you hear the time all the time. Once you have the deal, the money will follow. That's not always the case, at least in my experience. And a lot of these investors, they just didn't. You know, they had just invested in another deal or they were going through a divorce and it just wasn't a good time for them. 
Yeah, that, that's the thing, guys, is investors, even though even if they go into a deal with you the first time, they may not do the second one because of timing. And maybe that mm-hmm. that whatever that fifty thousand or hundred thousand was all they had saved up. And that's it. And so having consistent conversations with investors just to to kind of see where they're at. We do like surveys. We have a lot of investors just to kind of see where their their sentiment is. So you're not counting on them the next time. And then always adding to that list, I think is is really important. Absolutely. And always building that because you never know. You can't rely on just a couple of people to to fund everything for you, mm-hmm. especially when you're going after just high net worth investors like that. Right. So that's, I was yeah. I was just having a conversation with a newer investor who hasn't done his first apartment deal. And he says, you know, I have two investors lined up. And I told him, man, that is not enough investors. What happens if, you know, they don't want to invest and you have this deal, then you're kind of screwed. Yeah. And I always said, I don't, I would never, like, I would be terrified if I went and found a deal, put up earnest money, and I didn't have any of the inroads built with investors ahead of time. Mm-hmm. So we we had someone on the podcast, this pretty famous podcaster named Jordan Harbinger, and his quote, he took this from somewhere else, but he said, build a well before you're thirsty. Mm-hmm. And that is a true, so true. When it comes down to getting investments, you need to build the well before you're thirsty. Meaning you need to be pitching deals to people that are fake, that are maybe similar to a deal that you're going to do. And just say, hey, this is the type of stuff we do. You can make a fake a fake deck. Say, hey, it's going to look something like this when we get it. It's not here yet, but this is what we do. Build the relationship with them. Get them to trust you. Keep them in, included in the things that you're doing so they understand what's going on. If you're able to build a platform through social media, that's a really easy way to just get random strangers that mm-hmm. are watching and, and saying, oh, that guy knows what he's talking about. Yeah. And don't quit. And don't quit because yeah. you're going to hit a lot of road bumps. It might take 18 months until you get that first deal. But I'll tell you what, it will be worth it. And is that how long it took you? No, it took me, I think my first commercial, I was lucky, man, very blessed. I think it took me three months to find that first 16 unit apartment. So it can take three months as well. It can take, yeah. but it, it, I know people that it's, you know, it took them three years to figure it out or more, but it's that law, the first deal that really makes things, you know, roll downhill once you get into something, which is cool. The other thing is, so you, when you change markets, so if you're going from, you and you know, like certain areas in Phoenix, first of all, do whatever you can to get a deal done. But there's a risk factor when you're jumping around markets because most markets are block to block, right? So you're, you're essentially, you know, going, looking at sub markets and that's, that's a big part of, your your success are the submarkets. So you have to if you're going to OKC, for example, like you did, you have to learn all that, right? In order to really understand what you're getting into. Right. So and also can... partner with someone on the ground that knows those submarkets, yes. right? Yep. That's that's a way to hack that for sure. That's a that's a better way to do it. Cool, man. So so you went to then you went to buy something in OKC and that was how big was that deal again? 16 units. 16 units. Okay, awesome. So that's your that was that was kind of like your first bigger ish deal, and and then where are you at now? So today we own, I think, one hundred and seventeen units across three states, and that's six assets. So three states, six assets. That is awesome. 
so how did you continue to build up from that 16 unit? What, what started to happen for you? Well, we just talked about the law of the first deal, right? Mm -hmm. You get that first deal done and that is a huge thing to overcome. And also for me, whenever I found, especially starting off, if there's someone that's just starting off and they're, they're younger or inexperienced, it is so valuable to partner with someone else that has a net worth, has the experience, has the investors that can get the deal done. So partnering with others that had that for me was probably the most, one of the most important things. And that's exactly what I did. So I found someone that was really active in New Mexico and that was a fairly less competitive market, at least compared to DFW or Phoenix, especially two years ago. And he had taught me already how to underwrite, actually using the tool we use as a Michael Blanc SDA, which is an amazing tool. So yeah, partner with him and it just went from there. How were you able to find that partner? Through my first apartment real estate meetup. It's awesome. So you were really getting out there in person and using that to your advantage quite a bit, it sounds like. So what kind of meetups were you finding and going to? How'd you And how did you find them? No, I think if people just go to meetup.com, there's so many meetups there. And I will say this, I've been to some bad meetups. I think I found one on Facebook that really was just a scam. You know, they get you in there, it's free, but you sign up for a three-day course after that, you pay 150 bucks and they keep on inviting you back until the bill's like 20 grand. And so I have been to those, but you know, if you can get in for I've seen meetups for $20, like the Azria meetup you know, that is, or your local RIA, it's usually a $20 entry fee and you get to see people that are actually doing it. And so getting around individuals that are getting deals done and have what you want to have was for me so important so that I could see the vision and really understand that it was possible. If you want to work with a full-time syndicator to help you get up to speed faster, get your first deal done this year, and scale your portfolio so you can quit your job, then check out our mentoring program. It's at themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor. It's the only program out there that actually guarantees results. That's right. We actually guarantee that you do your first deal in the first year. Otherwise, we'll keep working with you. And set up a a strategy session call and explore whether it's right for you. It's themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think it's very difficult to go in and start a real estate career if you aren't around other people that have done it and are successful because you may have some doubts in your mind that this is actually real that this is going to work i know i did for sure there there's just having that presence is a huge huge part of building anything and mm-hmm. so some of these like the meetups in arizona i've i've tried to go to some of them and I've been to some of them. Again, there's some weird ones at restaurants people throw together and they're like, okay, who are these people? And they're not doing much. You run into the bad bad ones, of course, but then there's a couple of good ones. You may you pull one relationship out of one of these meetups, then it was all worth it. Mm-hmm. And and this goes back to what Caleb was saying, where you just have to keep trying. You can't stop and quit. If you go to a couple of bad meetups, like, ah, you know, this isn't for me or whatever. Now, it, it's that persistence that's really going to put you into the next place that you need to go. Caleb, what were some of the challenges you faced when you were trying to buy these these bigger deals? You know, I'd say the the capital raising for sure, right? So finding people that can bring the capital, that can help on the equity side, that's that's very important. And additionally, I think finding 
again, it always goes back to partners, but finding a partner that can verify your underwriting is so important because I remember we had had an accepted LOI on a, on a 160 unit and the numbers look good to me. We were in that LOI process and then we were negotiating PSA for about a month. And then right when we had the PSA, that's when I had one of my partners had found an error in my spreadsheet. And so it added about 5% to the year one gross rents and that accumulates year over year, right? And so that killed the deal. So that literally meant we had to go back to the seller, ask for a $1 million reach trade. And so starting off early in that process of having your partner verify your underwriting is another very important thing that I learned. That's a great nugget. And I agree with that. I think when it comes to underwriting, so I used to, when I first, there's so many, first of all, there's so many people out there that are, that don't know how to underwrite properly. Mm-hmm. We have people all the time that send us deals to look at and I poke holes in our underwriting right away. And what I used to do is we had a deal. I'd bring it to Michael and Drew. We'd review it and they poked holes in my model in the beginning when we first started working together. And eventually I was like, okay, I know what they're going to ask. I know where the holes are going to be potentially. So now every time you get slapped on the wrist from, from making a wrong assumption, you can modify and change it to look out for it next time. So Caleb, over time, what you were probably doing is you had someone check it. You're like, okay, that I made that error. I'm never making that again. And enough of those pretty soon your underwriting gets dialed in well. And now you have a specific x-ray vision that other people may not have that are not as good at underwriting. Sometimes That's exactly right. If everybody if everybody's offer is coming in higher than mine, I will say, what did I miss? Like, how am I not getting to this number? And I will go and dig hard, try to figure out because I think I might have made a mistake in my underwriting that's not allowing me to get to that number. That right there, I mean, that that's could be the difference between you getting a deal or not. One of our bigger deals that we've done that was sent was sent to me. We I had one of my employees do who wasn't a great underwriter, send me like the the base data. And I usually get I just didn't have a lot of time. So I had them do the underwriting and it was all wrong. And I didn't really spend enough time to dig into it till like three days before the call to offers. It was, that, no, it wasn't even the call to offers. It was best and final, like three days before the best and final. So mm-hmm. I then I looked in the underwriting and the broker's like, dude, this is a good deal. I don't know what you're talking about. And sure enough, it was like an amazing deal. And we went and made an offer. There were 40 offers on the deal. And we ended up having to put like a million hard day one and a million... So a million hard day, one a million after 30 days, and we ended up doing it and we ended up winning the deal. And it was mm-hmm. like the craziest series of events. I just wrote this deal off. Everyone else was seeing it. I wasn't, but it was a problem in the underwriting. That's And that can happen. And so the SDA that you have, I mean, do you, do you modify it at all? Do you use it exactly how it's been written? Yeah, I did uh, tweak it a little bit. Yeah, I think with underwriting, with any tool that you use, sometimes you can tweak it a little bit. And so it can fit what you want to see. And I know other people that have just built their own from scratch, but I, I personally much rather use someone's that's already been developed. And so that's, that's time that I can save. Yeah, absolutely. 
let's circle back a little bit. So now you've got these apartments, you've got the six complex, which is awesome. Really impressive. And now are you working right now or are you, are you not working? Like not working. This is real estate's full-time. Oh, so you're, you're completely full-time now. You've exited the whole working a job and now mm-hmm. it's, it's all, so are you living on the cash flow now? So I sold the duplex and I'm living on that, you know, so sometimes acquisition fees, that's helped. Yeah. And our properties are still cash. Well, they're still in that stabilization period. And so we're holding off on taking asset management fees or cash flow, of course. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, we're, we're stabilizing those now. Yeah. It's, it's somewhat difficult to live on the cash flow. The, the properties and interest rates are this high because you're, you're only going to spit off maybe 5% for investors in this environment. And so that's not a lot at the end of the day for them and for, and for you. So you, when you, but when you find deals and you buy them right and you can sell or refinance them, and then you're able to take fees as an operator that keeps the lights on for you. And then when you get big enough, you hire a corporate team to help you do stuff. And then those fees will pay for them. And so that's, that's kind of, you know, the next level when you get to that, but where are you going to expand to in, in your markets? Like what's, what's looking good for you right now? We are expanding into the Southeast. So right now we own in, yeah, those New Mexico, Oklahoma, and Arizona markets. And I'm seeing a lot of forecasted population growth towards markets like uh, Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee, South and North Carolina, Indiana. And so we're focusing, I think, on those markets that are more South, like Alabama and Georgia and Tennessee and South Carolina. The reason we're following that population growth is because let's say you have a thousand units, but over the next 10 years, you're going to get another thousand people moving there every year. That means in year one, you're going to have, let's say 2000 people and only 1000 apartments. And so your rent is going to, if you own some of those 1000 apartments, your rent's going to be able to go up just because of supply and demand. And we we want to invest in those markets that are growing. Alabama too, one thing we like about Alabama is that it's a, a non-union state. So there's no unions there in Alabama, which means more employers want to move their headquarters there and, and move their productions there. So those are a couple markets that we like. That's awesome. How are you preparing for the upcoming market cycle and what every, all the craziness that's going on? Mm. Well, building broker relationships and and continuing to stay top of mind with brokers. And what that means is calling them maybe every six weeks, every eight weeks and saying, Hey, you know, Garrett, this is Caleb with Red Sea Capital. Do you have anything in the 50 plus unit range or a hundred plus unit range, whatever that is. And we're, we're having those conversations in those markets that we want to invest in. And so building those relationships today is kind of like we talked about earlier with investors and raising capital. I'd rather you need to have those broker relationships today and those systems and processes already set up and dialed in so that when the right deal comes across your desk, you have that relationship with the broker, you have the investors in your database, and you also have the partners lined up and the management companies lined up that can get the deal done for you. Yeah, that's that's a great point. I think now is a great time to have, to build those broker relationships because they're not doing a lot. That's the reality. <laughs> Go back like two years when everything was like kind of peaking, and it was impossible to get a return call if you didn't have a relationship already or a track record. 
So now they're twiddling their thumbs. There's not a lot going on. They're not making a lot of money. It's tough out there, but it's a good time to have those conversations so that when things heat back up, you're able to, you're ready to go. Or when they cool down and and those deals come in and you're ready to jump, you already have that built. So that's, that's a really good point on that. Cool. Caleb, how can people, you have a really interesting story, by the way, this is, it's awesome to see a young guy. You're how old are you again? 25, 25 years old with 112 apartments, 17, yeah, 117 apartments. Love hearing stories like this, man. It's, it's super cool. You're doing a lot of great stuff. How can people, how can people reach out to you if they want to get a hold of you? Well, they can find us. They can actually check out our podcast from trial to triumph. Or they can check us out at redseacapitalgroup.com. And that's on Instagram and Facebook as well. Awesome, Caleb. Well, thanks. Thanks so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it, Garrett. Thank you. Hey, guys. So I really love what Caleb was talking about when he said that that it's a lot harder to raise capital than you think. Uh, it's absolutely true. I mean, you you have to build the inroads first. And you you can't do it when you have a deal. When you have a deal, it's too late. And anyone that says differently, I, I would be skeptical because the reality is those the relationships, people invest with you because they trust you. They have to know, like, and trust you. And those are really the the key indicators that you can't just go out and have a deal and expect that they're going to know what you're talking about. So that was a really good point. Another big takeaway from this episode is to keep trying things and keep being persistent. You're going to run into roadblocks. Things are going to happen all the time still happen today even when you get to a higher level in this business there's going to be roadblocks but it's about how you overcome them that matters that's the most important thing not what comes in your way and then another great takeaway i got from this episode is finding partners that can verify your underwriting i thought that was very key that's a really good nugget that you you can use out there there get really good at underwriting that is something that is needed. You should know how to do it inside and out. And then later down the road, you can outsource it. But in the beginning, you need to really know. And even while you're in the middle of deals, you have to know how to look at underwriting, where to tweak things, what makes sense, what are what's realistic, because that's what matters in the end is that you're hitting what you said. If you're off by a little bit, it's still, it makes a negative impact because you said you're going to do something and you're not doing it. So that underwriting is super important to you finding deals and then also succeeding on them later. If you guys want, again, to want to get involved with the pros, reach out to us, nighthawkequity.com, join the investor club. But we'd love to chat with you. Thanks so much for tuning in, guys. We'll catch you guys next time. Thanks for listening. Take the next step toward financial freedom by checking out our Freedom Vault, where you can find free resources to help you with apartment building investing. Whether you're an active investor just starting out or looking to scale your syndication business or looking to invest passively, head over to themichaelblanc.com slash vault to gain access to our Freedom Vault.